Welcome to the Sean Pepper Podcast, where we explore the daily habits and routines of experts in a variety of fields and disciplines. Conversations here focus on digestible and actionable information people can use in their professional and personal lives, while exploring what it means to be human at work, at home, and online. Today on the podcast, we have Elizabeth Shaw. Elizabeth Shaw is a full-time management consultant with a focus on healthcare and privacy optimization. She lives in a wellness-focused lifestyle to ensure her longevity. She started her Instagram account, The Strong Skinny, as a way to share body positivity, low-impact exercises, and gut-friendly recipes, all of which are part of her own personal health journey. She shares her experiences in the hopes of helping at least one other person. Liz Shaw, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Sean. Appreciate you having me. For those people listening, uh, can you explain how you ended up here, like on this podcast or on this on this journey towards becoming a consultant and then also starting your side gig in nutrition? Yeah, definitely. So the way I ended up in consulting was very random. It wasn't linear at all. And healthcare is something that I've just always been passionate about. So I studied at UBC, studied economics and French there. And in one of my last courses at UBC was on folks on health economics and the impacts that the healthcare system has on our economy. And so I found it really interesting. And a lot of the jobs that followed after that were primarily focused on helping other people. So I went from disaster services to project management for a healthcare company, worked for a healthcare startup, and then with all of that experience that I had, even in research as well, that was also health focused, I knew that it would be beneficial in consulting. So the nice thing about consulting is that you're on a variety of different projects. And the ones that I'm primarily on are focused on healthcare. And then in this past year, also added in privacy. So we can get a bit into that in a bit. But I like having both those together because they really feed off of each other. And as we've seen with COVID especially and working from home and quarantine is those two go hand in hand very well. And then the side gig, just, I have some digestive issues. And so that's really forced me to think about what I'm putting into my body. And it's not even just about what you eat. It's also about managing your stress. Are you sleeping enough? So all of those go together very well. And it's really forced me to recognize that healthcare is a holistic approach. So that's pretty much my uh, a snapshot of what I'm doing right now. You're very um, a very caring person and you want to help others. And that seems to be a driving force in what, what you just communicated. How was your childhood in shaping that? Were your parents healthcare practitioners or how did they instill those values in you? So they weren't healthcare practitioners, but they were immigrants. So they both immigrated to Canada when I was two months old. So I was actually not born in Canada. And so for them, just trying to get acclimatized to living in a new country and just seeing how much people helped us, it just helped us recognize that you need to give back to your community. So at a young age, always used to volunteer and then did it all throughout university, was very philanthropic while I was there as well. And then even now I'm a co-chair for a local community health board where we look at 
different issues within our community. And right now they're very much focused on homelessness and food security issues and how to address those problems for those marginalized communities. So it's just something that's always been ingrained in me. And even my, like my first job at a university was with the American Red Cross doing disaster services and still really helping communities and families come together when they've essentially just lost everything. So it's just something that's always been a part of my life and something I'm continuing to do and that I enjoy doing as well. Awesome. Is there a specific moment or can you remember a specific story maybe for the listeners that because you mentioned when you came here, everybody was helping your family. Is there a specific moment where you're like, oh, that story or anything that comes to mind? And if not, that's totally okay. Not that I can think of like a specific moment. I just remember, so I grew up in a a rural community in Ontario and my sister and I were the only colored people. And so just not feeling segregated at all, like just people always wanting to learn more about our culture and more about the types of foods and stuff that our parents made. So I think just being open and having that having that welcoming feeling was what was supportive, especially as a young child. But I can't remember or pinpoint one exact moment, but just knowing that I liked having that wherever I went. And in your practice and in your side business, how do you bring out those values now? So I initially started that the, the wellness account. So the strong skinny, I initially started it more as just a, like a lifestyle blog or insight into what my life was like. And the more I started to engage on the platform, the more I recognized that I could help people. So that's also helped me evolve my marketing, helped me evolve the type of captions and posts that I do. It's a little bit more niche now where it's focused on gut health and low impact exercises because I know those work for me. And so just getting responses from people or people that respond to in the comments or even in the direct messages with questions on tips and and it's just so nice and I'm able to support them that way but we don't even think that I'm doing it because I'm literally just talking about my life and my experiences so it's just nice to know that someone's always listening someone's always watching and that you can support someone without thinking that you are absolutely I think that's a really important message for anybody that is going through something or a personal journey um, sharing that with a larger audience not only gives you a chance to be able to help other people, but also gives you an opportunity to learn from a community. And so you kind of, you know, Seth Godin always talks about, you know, forming a tribe. And now more than ever, we're able to form these sort of digital tribes that feel almost like they're part of our local communities in many ways. And so that's, that's fascinating. Do you ever meet up with any of them in person? Or have you have you done that before? And what, what has that been like? Yeah, I fortunately started dating someone before Tinder and those sort of apps. <laughs> Me <came> too. Out, so. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> so I don't really know how it works <laughs> that well. So it's funny that you ask because I have met up with a few people in the wellness industry, especially here in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And it kind of did feel like a blind date or a setup day. And the cool thing, though, is that you know that you have things in common, like you're able to see that on Instagram, you're already engaging in conversations, you know what you have in common. So what we did was we'd meet up and we'd do workout classes together just to kind of break the ice, just to feel it out a bit where you're not really talking to each other, but you're near each other. And then we'd go afterwards to brunch together 
So it was just kind of nice segue where you could at least, if you had nothing to talk about, you could at least talk about the workout class you just did, how hard it was. So we did meet up and now we meet up regularly, which is nice. There's four of us that constantly meet up, we'll bounce ideas off of each other. And the nice thing about that is that I have someone who actually understands when I have questions about social media. Because I found that a lot of my friends and family really struggled with, why do you have a blog? Why are you meeting up yeah. with these like internet people? And <laughs> it was just really nice to have someone who understands because there is a lot of information out there. And content creation is hard. It's exhausting sometimes. Totally. I can and, that. Oh my gosh, yeah. It just seems like it's ongoing. So it's just nice to have someone else to, to connect with on those issues. Sure. How do you think that social media has changed the way that you approach your consulting? Oh, approach my consulting. So yeah, what I mean by that is, you know, when you go to consult a company, social media, you know, fill in the blanks there. And if if you're as you're running your own business, that obviously probably gives you more insight to then provide for the company. So how how does that relationship work? Yeah, so it, it ties in really well with my privacy experience. So with consulting, working in privacy, now it's also made me a bit paranoid and I'm noticing things that I probably wouldn't have otherwise noticed, but it's also forced me to use that lens in social media. So now whenever people overcollect information to join their mailing list or they're posting someone's wedding invite on their open social media account that now has their name, the date, the location on there, it just little things like that. It's really opened up my eyes to it. So they, they go back and forth where it's allowed me to recognize privacy within social media. And then for the other way, it's also, it's also made me think about how I want to frame what I want to say when I communicate with my clients. So within social media, and there's, there's pros and cons for it. A lot of people praise having social media and publishing what you want to say. And then other people attack it and say that people are like, people are ready. They can't just have their own thoughts. They're already thinking about how they can repurpose and repackage it in a way to be consumed by other people. So that was just like an interesting way to think about it as well. But I find both of my jobs go hand in hand very well. And I like that. It's less work. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. Because one informs the other. It's kind of like me podcasting helps me actually connect with experts like yourself and, you know, have conversations I probably wouldn't be able to have otherwise without it seeming strange. I'm, right. I, yeah. I, do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> right. Cause I, if I was like, Hey Liz, like, I just want to chat for an hour. It would probably be weird. But if I, you know, yeah. <laughs> we chat and say, Hey, can I have you on the podcast? That's kind of how I'm using the power of, you know, social media and technology to, to have these conversations. You mentioned privacy, so maybe some people are thinking about, you know, their kids. So I have a kid, I have a daughter, um, about to have another one in September. What are the things that, is there any rules or regulations that parents should know about, about posting social media um, posts about their their child? Yeah, I think with children, it's a bit tricky. Even as adults, people don't realize that they're, they're at risk for privacy. That, like right. we fall for those phishing emails. We post things publicly. We post exactly where we are, where we are and what we're doing and who we're with. So with kids, there's a lot of people that are like lifestyle bloggers, a lot of moms that are posting about their kids and, and that is completely fine. 
it's just something to be wary of. For example, with me, if I'm out in public with my friends and we're at a beer garden, I don't actually post about it while I'm there. I post about it after I've left or even a day later because you don't want someone following you around, knowing exactly where to find you at that time. So I think with children, that's something to also be vigilant about. Mm -hmm. And then also there's a lot of apps out there. So things like Siri and Alexa, like those are terrifying, especially from a privacy lens. It's an over collection of information. They're always listening. They're able to form essentially your thoughts based on your behaviors and exactly what you're looking at all the time. That's how marketing and targeted ads work. So Mm -hmm. just being really cautious of the types of technology that you're introducing into your life, because Mm -hmm. it's not so bad, let's say if you're using the technology, but if there's a privacy breach, now your information is just out there and you don't even know whose hands it's in. So that's the biggest risk is a privacy breach. And how do you protect your family against it? And how do you protect your own information against it? Sure. And I'm just going to chime in here for a second. So a great tool for people that are wondering about privacy and passwords and things like that is one password for families. So I would, I would, I would highly recommend that product. I don't know. Liz is kind of smiling at me right now. I don't know if there's something that I don't know. <laughs> Maybe no. I'm about to be exposed here, but one password allows you to be able to not only share passwords amongst family, but it also allows you to, to share and secure passwords and create and generate a new password for every single online account. And then it keeps it separately and it does so across multiple platforms. So on Mac or at work, you can keep all your passwords in one place. That's not a plug. I'm not getting paid for that. I just, I use it and I find it very, very effective in doing that. Um, when you, you, my wife forgets all her passwords. So we use that quite, quite often. Right. So with passwords, obviously you want it to be something that you can remember and you don't want it to be something that is easy to guess. So remember before when we had, if you forgot something on your bank account, there's like five questions and it's like, what's your maid, your mother's maiden name? What's your first, the make of your first car? Like we can easily yeah. Google all of that stuff now. So just making sure you're not answering those types of questions or making those part of your password. And another thing, like if you're not going to be using a password generator, like you're using is they recommend doing sentences because those are harder to remember. So if you just say like, my cat Joe is that, then you just use the first letter from each of those words to create your password. So you might not remember J-E-R-F, whatever it is, right? Mm. But you will remember the sentence. So making it really easy that way. And that might be something that your wife might want to use if she doesn't want to do computer generated passwords. But a lot of people use them. I don't have anything against them. I at least haven't yeah. seen anything negative about it. But sure. Like my partner, he uses it as well. But I typically go with sentences. Cool. And also for those people listening, there's something called 2FA, which is very important. Maybe Liz, you, I mean, uh, the whole point of this is I tend to talk too much. So I'm trying to, to, no, to, to, to learn how to interview. Uh, yeah. So it, it just means two-factor authentic, uh, authentication. And what that means is that it's all linked to your cell phone or it's linked to um, some sort of secure password that they give you when they first subscribe to that. So if you haven't turned that on in your bank account or in other kind of places where you might be vulnerable, it might be a good idea to do so. They will send you a message or a text giving you a password, which will allow you to log into things. Financial institutions do this most, but now other institutions like Google 
um, and Facebook are also using this because of, you know, obviously more and more sensitive data is being stored in those places. So, so I totally thought you said two S. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so I thought it was a name of another company. So I was like, Oh, I actually don't know what that is. Yeah. No, two factor authentication. Definitely use yeah. it as much as you can. Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's let's shift a little bit. So that's that that's kind of on the privacy sort of side. And then let's walk us through like a framework that you have for, you know, maybe meeting, like keeping in mind that you were discussing earlier about, you know, you want to be caring and you want to kind of give people support. How do, how do you think your approach to consulting or the way that you walk a client through the consulting process is more caring or not more caring, but is it represents those values? And, and what does that framework look like? So every consultant probably has a different little framework. What's kind of your tips and tricks for those maybe young out of university, they want to get a job at uh, a consulting firm, whether that's one of the big ones or if it's a small niche one, like wh what does that look like? So I think the most important thing is listening. Like I know it's something that's been said again and again, but especially coming in as a consultant, you feel like you know the answer. You know the answer before you even sit down with the client and that can be true. You can have a solution in mind, but really try to be open-minded when you do have that sit-down conversation and try to have a face-to-face -face conversation. Obviously, right now with, with working from home, it's made it a bit hard, but it is important mm -hmm. to have that relationship with your client and asking the right questions. Because again, when you have that answer in your mind and you, know the, you think you know the answer, you're less inclined to listen to what they're actually trying to to figure out or what they want a solution for. And sometimes what they want might be different from what they ask, like what they asked for initially. So right. having those conversations, asking open-ended questions to really get them to explain what they're looking for mm. can actually change what their ask is without even knowing it. And so I think that's really important. And then also working with them. So as much mm. as possible. So yes, put together a solution for them, but then as you're working through the solution, asking those questions along the way versus waiting to give them an end product and then figuring out it wasn't what they wanted in the first place. It'll save you a lot of time and it'll save them a lot of heartache. And you'll both be on the same page throughout the process versus just meeting at the beginning and just meeting at the end. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. I recently started consulting around the areas of educational technology. One of my frustrations, I... I have, I think sometimes is when I ask open ended questions, I feel like some clients get like a little bit, I don't know how to put this, like a little bit like I hired you because you're supposed to provide the solution. How do you deal with those type of those type of clients? Because I've definitely had a few of them. Yeah, there's definitely going to be people like that. And so if that's what they want, though, so it's one of two ways, though, if, if right. they want you to find the solution for them, and they don't want to talk about it anymore, then you can say, this is my plan. This is what we're going to do moving forward. These are the deliverables I'm going to give you along the way. And this is going to be your end result. So if that's if they're not happy with that approach, then you just have a difficult client. But yeah. ideally, they'd want to explain it a bit more because it could be you're working with the manager on helping them find a solution. But the director or one of the vice presidents was actually the one that asked for the project in the first place. So what the vice president thinks the manager needs is different from what the manager knows they need by working in that job day to day. Exactly. So that's yeah. where I know there tends to be some discrepancy and you want to find a solution for the person you're working with. But 
there's always going to be difficult people too. Yeah. <laughs> that's just, that's I, just I unfortunate. Guess, I guess I sometimes, true. sometimes I'm, I'm trying to ask open-ended questions because I think that educational technology being a new field or relatively new, not, it's not new, but the way that it moves so quickly, there's a lot of assumptions that you can just, I mean, I have a framework, a consulting framework that I go through, but essentially the, the, the clients really just want two things. They want the learning resources and tools. What software am I going to use to plug into this to, to get X? And they want to know how does it meet my project goals in terms of money and finances? And yep. I spend a huge amount of time, and this is part of the reason why I love this, this podcast and this format being free flowing on the human element and the environment. And so I say, well, how are humans going to act, interact in the environment? How are humans going to click this? How are humans going to get there? Because you're going to spend a lot of money on this as software. Do you understand the software? How do you use the software? And they just kind of, sometimes they, they can get very frustrated. <laughs> and I'm well, like, but this is the important part because if humans aren't yeah. going to use it, then you're going to be so wasting a lot of money on a tool. And then you're going to come back and blame me because you're going to say, well, the tool oh you gosh, suggested yeah. doesn't work. And I'm like, well, yeah, because you haven't given the, the learning resources or the support for the humans inside of their current environment. So uh, an example is a lot of people are working from home right now. And so they can't walk to the water cooler and ask, Hey, like privately, Hey, how is it going? They may be able to do that message, but maybe they don't feel comfortable in the same way that they would in person. And so all of these environments changing has caused disruption in the normal work environment. And, and, and people, when they then look for software or hardware, they just look for a replacement of the same environment. Oh, at the office, we did this. So now we're going to do this. And it doesn't necessarily make sense. Yeah. So. It doesn't. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't necessarily translate over. And yeah. you're totally right. Like you do need to think about who are you creating this product for or who are you creating this solution for? And I actually just finished up a design thinking course through Alberta Health Services where they force you to think about the solution from the patient's perspective. And so design thinking and human-centered design is exactly it. Like you really need to think about it from their perspective because those solutions, especially technology, is not cheap. And then training people to use it is also an added cost to think about too. Yeah, and it becomes more of a change management role rather than an actual technology role. A lot of what I do has to do with organizations understanding that they can't force their employees to do things that it's a change management and, and a leadership position that you have to kind of scaffold it in a way that, that allows them to see and understand the benefit of the change as opposed to that initial software solving that problem. Exactly. Yeah. And that's something that we use quite a bit is change management practices. Like we have a few change managers within our firm and that is their only role is change management and helping organizations work through those new technological changes that they're introducing to their companies sure. or new policies. What physical tools do you like allow to help your consulting practice or your, 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 your passion business? So one thing that I love to use is a bullet journal. Okay. So and, and just sure describe that a little bit. No, I'm not. No. So bullet journaling is like a process. So if there it's, it's, it's physical journal itself, it's basically a blank book with a bunch of dots throughout it. Great. And so that way you can kind of cater it to the way you want. And I like that because I couldn't find one planner that I liked that incorporated everything that I wanted. So I wanted to have that monthly view, but I also wanted a daily planner, but then I also wanted to track what I was eating and 
I didn't want to carry five different things with me. So that's where I'm at. Oh, I just had that problem. That's hilarious. I hate that. Yeah. You're like, no, and I, 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 I like, and then I take an iPad and I'm like, but this is digital. I hate this. It's yeah. just, oh, man. I think it's we're the in between where we're like cranky because we like paper, but we also like technology, but we can't do one or the other. Totally. But no, bullet journaling allows you to essentially cater it to what you want. And another thing that I track in there is daily habits that I want to reinforce. So I really like having a bullet journal. For that reason, that's something that's physical that I take around with me everywhere. And you can essentially put whatever you want into it. There is a science behind it, and I probably won't explain it well. So it is that's on fine. the Bullet yeah, Journal we did, website. To, totally. We'll, we'll, we'll link that in the show notes. Yeah. With, with, re, with regards to habits, I'm a, I mean, I'm a perfect example of trial and error with habits. So I start a habit, I fail, you know. I, I've recently read, and for the for the audience listening, I've recently read something that's actually revolutionized uh, the way that I think about habits, which was by B.J. Fogg, and it's called Tiny Habits. And this is a very interesting concept based on lots of lots of psychology research. And it essentially says, like, if you want to do 100 push-ups a day, just put in your journal, do one push-up. And the point being is that, you know, we unlike the eat the frog and you know Brian Tracy stuff from like the sales consultant or business consultant stuff way before this idea of doing one push up once we start we will end up then following through on whatever executing whatever goal is the 100 push ups but a lot of the times the time or the energy of doing that already defeats our practice so is there any ways that you try to minimize your habits in terms of making them simpler so that you get them done um, so they're not too complete, complicated and burdensome to write in your journal. So I, yeah, so I do, so I have monthly goals. So I'll set up like five monthly goals that I want sure. to achieve. And that's exactly like you said. So it might just be like five pushups, something that's more manageable. And then I'll have my long-term goals. So it might be the hundred pushups, but my daily habits tracker, and maybe it's a psychological thing, but just the act of tracking it every single day. Like there's days where I'm like, no, I'm too tired. I'm like, no, I must do it for the bullet journal. So I don't know if that's just me and that's my type A personality, but it does help reinforce those. And I think as well, and there's science behind this as well, is the notion of habit stacking. So I know I'm going to brush my teeth every day and I know I'm going to do it twice a day. So after brushing my teeth, I'm going to do two pushups. Yep. And so if I do that twice, in a day that's ready for a push-up. So that's what I try to do as much as possible. If I right. know there's something I really don't want to work on, like tracking my receipts for the week. I really don't want to do that. That's a chore for me. What can I do before that or after that to help reinforce that behavior? Sure. So that's been really important for me is, and, is having that's stacking. a And that's a book, I believe as well. No, there's, there's a lot of books. One of the books that I really liked is atomic habits by James okay. clear. And he really talks about, it's an amazing book. There's a lot of different tools that he has. And he also has a website as well um, and a mailing list where he helps reinforce Mm -hmm. a lot of those ideas. So Mm -hmm. I really like that book and there's a lot of different resources out there, but that was one that just really clicked with me. That's awesome. Yeah. And another one that clicked with me was Charles Duhigg's book. And, and just, just in terms of the simplifying of it, like the cue, the reward and the, Cue reward something else anyways. I'll link to it in the show notes. But it's a three-step process and it's exactly what you're talking about. The cue is I brush my teeth. Therefore, 
I, I, I'm going to do this thing that I did dislike maybe. And then, then the reward is I've done both of those things because now it's have it stacked or in, in yeah. the way that yeah, you there's probably it. different yeah. terms for it. No, definitely. definitely. Cool. Yeah. What digital tools do you use? So those are the physical ones. You got a physical thing. And we were just talking about the balance between physical and digital tools. So what yeah. does your digital environments look like? So, you know, we're right now we're recording this on Zoom and I've got Google document open with a list of questions. And I mean, what are the, some of the environments that you play inside of as a consultant and as a, somebody that's running their own business? Yeah, the one of my favorite tools is Trello. And okay. that is something that you can also customize. So that's something that I like is sometimes my needs are going to change and I want a tool that's versatile enough to accommodate for that. So I was first introduced to it when I worked at a startup company here in Halifax. And after that, I'm like, wow, I could actually use this in all aspects of my life. So I find it really helpful for my blog and for tracking content because you can easily move tasks in between different months or different weeks or however you structure it. So that's one tool that I really like because you can add in due dates, you can add in attachments like pictures or Word documents, whatever you're working on. And I like it for tracking my work as a consultant because I'm usually working on more than one project at once. And so your calendar can get overwhelmed and mm -hmm. just knowing what tasks I need to do for that day or that week. And as a consultant, sometimes if you're not on a full-time project, you're working on three smaller projects and the bane of my existence. Your hours. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Trying to work on too many projects. I can only really focus on, you know, one, maybe two, like one, let's be honest. Like I'm, I'm very hyper-focused. Um, yeah. But that's what Trello so, helps me with though. Yeah. Like rather than, checking my email, then working on one thing and then seeing another email come in and switching projects. Like your brain actually can't function that way. It's going to take you time to like, whenever you get a distraction, you'll notice you can't just get back right into it. It's going to take you probably five or 10 minutes to really get back into what you're working on. So Trello helps me divide up my day. So I'm like, okay, the first three hours, I'm going to do this. Then I'm going to check my email. Then I'm going to do the next project for the next two hours or however that works. So that's what I really like is it helps me organize my thoughts and, and structures my day. And I'm the type of person that really breaks out my day. <laughs> like I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do that. And I'm a morning person. So I've already done a million things before I even start my work day. And me too. Yeah, and cello helps me. Yeah. Well, especially so you, with kids, I can imagine. Yeah, you have to. No, like yeah. that's a whole nother podcast, but yeah, like <laughs> yeah. Me, me, me with kids, me without kids. How do you, you, you mentioned breaking up your day. How do you find like, where, where do you do your best work and how do you find like, so are you a 5am club person? Like do you, do you, do you prescribe to that? What's the, what's the way that you find that solitude of like deep thinking for me, for instance, it's, it's between five and seven o'clock. It's the only time I can get work done. It seems like. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm a morning person too. Okay. So same. Yeah, so or, yeah. So with consulting, we do, and it depends on if, if your client is that way or not, but you can work when you work best. So like I start work at seven 30 so that I can be off earlier. And when I was commuting, that was mostly so I could avoid traffic, but also because of a morning person. And so I work best between like seven to 11 o'clock. And then I know I'm not going to be as productive in the afternoon. So that's where I try to structure is if I need to get a lot of writing done, a lot of reading done, reading, oh my gosh, if I leave that to the afternoon, 
game over. I'm probably going to read the same sentence 20 times. So I know that about myself though. And that's what's helped me structure my day and plan around. Obviously, if there's meetings that I can't control and they just happen to be in the afternoon, then it is what it is. But then I try my best to prepare for those well in the morning when I know I'm not going to be as productive in the afternoon. Sure. How are you, how do you find that balance with your partner? Do you guys schedule time into your schedule? Like, are you both very type A? Is it, how does that work? So I'm a morning person and he's a night owl. So I'm typically up and I've already done my workout for the day, breakfast, read a book, like all of that fun stuff in the morning. And I go to sleep. So I wake up at around five, five thirty, and then I go to sleep probably around nine thirty. Maybe 10 o'clock, that's a bit of a stretch. I'm already closing my eyes around 9.30. We probably should schedule in time, we don't. And I think that's the nice thing too. Like when I first moved here to Nova Scotia, it was, I didn't really know anybody. And obviously he was really excited that I was here. So we wanted to do everything together. And we realized we might hate each other by the end of this if we decide to do everything together. So I like that we're both independent people. He plays hockey and soccer so he has his evening sports that he commits to and I go to my bar classes and so I like that we're both independent people sometimes it can be overwhelming where we don't see each other sometimes for days because he's not awake when I'm awake and I'm not awake when he's home so that's when we're like okay maybe we need a weekend getaway or just like a weekend at home to just hang out but but no otherwise we're just both we're both pretty independent yeah yeah, me and my wife as well. Especially then when you add kids onto it, it becomes I actually interestingly enough, I actually found that my schedule, my type A personality kind of broke. It had to, like it just broke when I had kids. But yeah, I think there's probably a lot of people. Yeah, there's a lot of people that I think that are type A that that uh, you know, on one hand your productivity increases by like 500x in the hour that you get free. I've never worked yep. so quickly or so fast in my life. But on the other hand, you only have two hours a day. And so it's it's really you go, like or you don't and then you don't see your children. Right. Like so it's a real it's a real hard thing to try to find that balance. And I appreciate that. And, and me and my wife, when we were without kids, we have very similar situation, We're both very independent. She would do her thing. The one thing that I think we're the same and the one thing that we do like to do together. Like I don't like really watching TV and he could binge watch an entire season of a show. So like I'll sit with him and he'll have headphones on and I'll read a book. Like sometimes that's what we need to do. We both want to do what we want to do, but we both enjoy golfing. So that's something that we can do together. But in Nova Scotia, summer slash warm weather is all of like (laughs) a blink of an eye, but (laughs) we go when we can. Yeah. Yeah. And the only reason I ask that question is because there's a lot of couples that are in a similar situation. You know, they're very busy. They're working professionals. I mean, I know I've struggled with that before. And so I was just curious on how that works with consulting, because I do know that consultants don't have that formed fixed time. Right. It's it's very much flex. They have to flex where their clients are. And so that can get very hard for somebody that's a type A personality who wants the control of like the time to then try and, you know, navigate all of that. No, definitely. Yeah. Who who are the people that inspire you most in your profession? Is there relationships that you have with people in your profession that you really admire or mentors that you have taken on or. 
Yeah. So in the privacy world, so privacy is something that's new to me in this past year. So just really trying to find someone that I could lean on and learn from was Anne Kavukian. So she was one of the privacy commissioners for Ontario and has now created a course and a concept called privacy by design. And so it kind of goes back to what we were talking about, about thinking about the end user, but she really talks about it from a privacy lens. So really when you're creating any sort of new concept or prototype, how do you incorporate privacy into that design phase? And so she just, she's very outspoken. She'll speak what she'll say exactly what she wants to say. And I just really like how feisty she is. And and she's talking about something that's so important and something that affects all of us every day. So I really like her. And then from the social media lens, just someone who's been focused on body positivity and for people to be comfortable in the skin that they're in. I'm blanking on her full name right now. It's Sarah Landry though. And she is the bird's papaya. That's the name of her handle on social media. And she just really embraces the body that she's in and overcoming any sort of obstacles that are related to that. So she's been someone that I admire from that lens and also someone who speaks her mind. So I think that's something that I've been very attracted to in terms of mentorship or people that I admire is people who aren't afraid to say what they want to say. And especially now with everything going on in this world, everybody's going to have different opinions and I'm glad Mm -hmm. that they're not shielding away from what they think based on what other people would think. How do you think that's changed as you've grown in your career and in your confidence and in everything? Yeah. So just coming from an Indian background, a lot of people are careful with the way that they act because it's always, well, what's your cousins going to think or what's your family going to think? And, and that makes it really hard because you're really shielding someone from their full potential. If you're constantly going to be scared of what other people think. So that's what's definitely changed for me personally in the past, probably only like three years. And that's where I really started going to meditation and focusing on myself and what I eat and, and how I take care of my body. And if you're not confident about yourself, no one else is going to find you confident either. So that's what's really changed in the past three years where I'm just like, I don't really care what you think. I'm going to do it anyways, or I'm going to say it anyways. And I think that's really important regardless of what industry or who you are or what you look like, you need to be confident in what you think. So that's definitely changed for me. Awesome. I would agree with that. I think people would say that I'm probably maybe too far across the line on that, where I kind (laughs) of just don't have a filter. But as a consultant now, you know, within the last couple of years, I've, I've been working really hard on trying to develop that filter. Part of it is because I understand that the goal is I want what's best for them. And they want that too. But sometimes I feel like there's a lot to navigate between their own ego or their own emotions or whatever, whatever have you. And yep. sometimes I can lose patience that they're not self-aware enough to understand that. And so, yeah, I, I, I really think that having strong confidence and being, but not just having confidence, but being reflective and being able to explain why the decision's made. So transparency and confidence together, I think really yield the ability to explain something in, in a way that makes sense for people and they can accept or not accept, but at least you've said your piece and you're explaining your thinking behind it. Going back to that whole design thinking yeah. aspect and 
why it's important and why you've come to that conclusion. And then people can, you know, disagree or agree, but ultimately your decision. Sometimes though, I find that there can be that stigma with being a woman and being authoritative and not giving in or submissive to what someone else might think. So that's also been very challenging to navigate is this is actually what we're going to do. And sometimes that's hard to hear. And sometimes you're just going to be like, she's a, like, what are you going to do about it? But it's, that's, that's, that was probably my biggest hurdle to go over is like, like you said, I'm a caring person. Mm-hmm. Um, I care about people, but I think that can also be my biggest fault is being a people pleaser is giving up my time and my schedule and giving in to what other people want, even though I know that might not be the best solution. So that's something I've definitely worked on. But again, I still think there is that stigma, both in the workplace and personal life when a woman is authoritative in what they're saying. I completely agree. I would say that 100%. I spoke with with a guest. She's a female comic, and she said very similar in a a place dominated by men because, you know, stand-up's really dominated by males. Sometimes people don't have the voice or feel comfortable enough to be supported in those environments. So how, how do you, as a woman, find other women, and how do you support each other in those environments where they're male dominated? So in consulting, it's definitely more male dominated. We're seeing that change a bit. There is a lot of women, but even just like looking at the company I'm at and just the the consulting world in general, we, we are seeing more and more women in those roles, but it's still very much male dominated. And so I'm lucky enough that I'm at a firm where I get the support from our managing partner, who's a male, and and I get the support from our partners who are men. So they're recognizing the importance of inclusion and the importance of including women in, in all conversations and all projects, which is nice. But it is also nice having a mentor within the company who is a woman that I can lean on and get support from. And the nice thing is, yeah, you might screw up. It's going to be a new area that you're working in, but you have someone who's going to support you along the way. So mm-hmm. I appreciate the mentorship and the guidance from all people. How can how can men who are leaders in an organization support females like your current leaders in your organization are supporting you? Really just asking what they want and what they need support with. People who want to know how you're doing, not just at work, but mm-hmm. at home, if you feel confident mm-hmm. enough to, to talk about it. And so because I'm so engaged and I go to fundraisers and I go to company events, like I'm actively involved at the firm they're able to understand their workers and understand what Mm. they need and what they don't need. And so I think that's nice that I do have people that are genuinely interested and want to know how I'm doing, not just, Hey, how are you doing? I want to know how your work is. It's, Hey, how are you doing? How was your weekend? So I think it's nice to have that human people approach versus always being deliverables driven. Sure. Yeah, definitely. And how might somebody who's a male go into those? And again, I'm just asking because I I can, I've kind of sometimes play devil's advocate, meaning like the other, the flip side of the worst possible case scenario. Yep. It's actually something that I, I learned from Buddhism is, is just like, you know, you kind of always kind of consider and be accepted with, uh, you know, kind of worst possible situation that could come out and not have an emotion based on one way or the other. How might a male approach that if they were concerned with 
a female like yourself, I mean, you're an attractive person. Let's say I'm, I'm leading the organization and I want to have that relationship because I care about you, but I don't want to cross that boundary. How might, how might I approach that with somebody who is a female and I want to support and I really do want to show support, but I don't want to give the wrong impression. I think that's important to start off from the beginning. Like if all yeah. of a sudden I've been working there for six months and all of a sudden my boss just keeps messaging me nonstop. Like it's just important to know what those boundaries are. Like he's not right. going to be texting me at nine o'clock at night. He's going to be texting me during or messaging me during the day when I'm at work and, and it's more organic versus forced. So right. it's really like reading the person because there might be some women in my organization who just want to do their job they're nine to five yeah. and, and check out and that's completely fine. So I think sure. it's also leaving it up to the person. Like I'm open to having conversations. I'm always calling yeah. them if I have a new idea. Yeah. And so it's just really gauging the situation because if you're constantly prying at someone who doesn't want to talk to you, that's going to give right. off the wrong impression. The reason I ask questions is because I've spoken with people that, that are very open and, and, and very, you know, they're in leadership positions and they do struggle with that. They struggle with this idea of how do I change my dynamic or my leadership style to match what the employee needs and make it consistent at the same time. Because we've kind of, unfortunately, in these organizations that are, you know, kind of, you know, hierarchical by nature, and they have to be, no organization can be flat. Eventually, you need somebody to take charge and lead, right? But when they're in that that environment, it it becomes really challenging for them to maintain those relationships because everything starts to get standardized and then you got to write the employee policies and then you know you got to have HR come in and say okay this is the way that you can interact and so I think a lot of people find that that challenging to be supportive and to let somebody to get too close if you will to to somebody who is a strong female in the organization and without it having come off as like favoritism or exactly or leaning in that way. No, I totally see it. And it's, it's definitely a balance. And I think with Halifax as well, just being, at least this is my experience and I've lived in multiple places is it's a lot more of like a homey feeling. Yep. Like it's just more, and it's probably similar where you're at too, but mm-hmm. I just didn't really get that when I was living in Vancouver. Like it was right. like, this is my boss. This is me. And that might be different. I don't want to attack all companies in Vancouver. No, Obviously, that's where my family is. But I don't, I see that there's definitely a difference in the environment I'm in now compared to where I was in other jobs that I worked at. And it just might be because I'm at a smaller company as well. So yeah. I don't know, but I think there's multiple factors that could play into it. Or I just For have sure. awesome bosses, one of the two. Yeah, it could be that. It could just be amazing people managers. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. Or amazing people, because amazing people yeah. don't really need to be managers, do they? That is true. Yeah, they just, they're just <laughs> awesome, and then they end up being awesome leaders. Yeah, for sure. You, you, so you mentioned meditation. What's one of the, the kind of significant books or things that you've engaged in in terms of meditation? So meditation is probably what's helped me so much in the past, like I said, the past three years. It's something... I've tried many, many times before and I'm like, crap, how do people do this? What do you mean sit in silence and focus on your breath? Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And so that's something that I still struggle with doing completely on my own, but I use guided meditation. So the first book that I read that really opened my eyes to what it was and, and why it was important was The Power of Now. And Mm -hmm. 
I absolutely love that book. I'll sometimes I'll find myself rereading it every now and then. And then I also use the Headspace app. Mm-hmm. So it is a little expensive. I know there's a lot of free resources that are out there mm-hmm. that people use. This is one that I know just works for me. And mm-hmm. there's so many different options out there, depending for what I'm in the mood in. Like sometimes if I'm really stressed or like, do the stress, like how to calm down? Or is it that I'm having trouble falling asleep? There's a sleep meditation. If I, and every single day they have a new meditation. It's like called their like daily meditation. And I do that first thing in the morning every day. So I like the, how versatile it is. And it's just, yeah, it's something that really helps me, especially when I'm really stressed out. I'm like, you know what? I just need to take a breather. I know that I have meditation and meditative like processes that I can run through that'll help me. I'm a big meditator as well. I, I love it. Yep. It's the only way that I And how I can long have find... you been doing it for? Um, on and off. I mean, I go through these waves, if I'm being honest. Like, I try to make it a habit. But I find uh, when I don't make it a priority, my life gets so chaotic that it's forced upon me again. <laughs> right? <laughs> as somebody who meditates, you probably appreciate that. Your mind starts getting... They call, In meditation, sometimes they may refer to the monkey mind. So this kind of like person that's telling you what to do inside your own head versus that, that your actual true actions are what you want to put out into the world. And so I'm either meditating consistently as a habit or then I'm forced back for meditation. And one of the tools I use is called Insight Timer. So you can download, yeah, so you can download it on iOS or Google Play. And it's uh it's cool it's it's very similar to headspace i just got on it while i was in brazil i think i started meditating in brazil actually because i was very very frustrated on one hand the the dichotomy of living in brazil was really beautiful and the culture is awesome but the work environment talking about being a type a personality like nothing ever got done there was never any like deliverables i couldn't deliver on anything and that was extremely hard for me because i wanted control and so Meditation helped me wrestle with the idea of letting go of control and understanding why that doesn't need to be there for me to be safe or secure. And for a lot of my life, I needed that control or that that kind of, you know, yeah, that control over my own life. Uh, the book that uh, you're referring to, the author is Eckhart Tolle, for those people that would like yeah. to, to go and look it up. And he also has other books. Fantastic. Don't listen to it while you're driving because it's very relaxing. Yeah, I was actually going to recommend that too. Like, don't do an audiobook while driving. What accomplishments would you say that you're most proud of? So, you know, through the meditation process of meditation, you start to view things differently. So what are, what are some of the things that you would say you're most proud of? So most proud of, so I guess there's a couple of things and they just sort of feed into each other, but sure. really just and, and I know it depends on your personality, but of course. for me, I'm, not afraid to go out there meet new people. I moved to Pennsylvania as soon as I graduated from UBC. And then I moved to Nova Scotia after I lived in Pennsylvania. And not a lot of people can do that. And of course, it wasn't easy right away. Like you have to find new friends, new hobbies. But I'm not afraid of doing that. And I'm not afraid of meeting new people. And even as starting like that kind of fed into starting my blog and meeting up with strangers that I met through my wellness blog. So I think just being open to new opportunities, learning from new people has, has been one of my strengths and, and it's really enabled me to, to move to different places and meet new people and 
have new opportunities. So that's something I'm definitely proud of and something that I'm obviously hoping to continue because that's just my personality. So definitely mm-hmm. proud of myself for doing that and, and overcoming it as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of struggle to moving your entire life to a new places with new environment, new surroundings, new people, you know, trying to find where you sit. You get to, uh, it, on one hand, it's it's really challenging because you have to break from your old identity and create a brand new one every time you move, essentially, because you're interacting in a different group. And pieces of the identity will will, will come, come with you, but you don't want to be so rigid that your whole identity comes with you because that won't leave you any space for you to, to be open to other people and accepting something new or exciting that could be a part of your life. And growing too. Like I found that, like I grew a lot since living in Vancouver, like a lot of my habits and my livelihood and the people that I surround myself with has evolved and changed. And, and it's really helped me be who I am today. And, and a lot of people I know, they just don't change their habits and they don't change their environment. And you are a product of your environment for the most part. And you're the same people. If you hang up the same people, those are the same ideologies that you're feeding into your own head. So that's why I love reading because you're learning about new people all the time and new opportunities. And anyways, yeah, I can go down the rabbit hole with reading, but it's oh, good. It, great. Exactly dude. So it. yeah. What areas are you interested in reading? Yeah. So I typically read nonfiction and that's even if I'm watching TV, it's a lot of autobiographies. Those are the types of books that I read. Like I just read Michelle Obama's autobiography. Then I just read, and these are going to be all political for some reason, but Hillary Clinton's experience, what happened with her past election. And so just really trying to understand what actually happened versus what you're seeing on social media or what you're seeing mm-hmm. in the news. And so mm-hmm. that's why I really like autobiographies, mm-hmm. even in reading books and reading nonfiction or reading about what happened during the Holocaust. Like those are experiences that I will never live through. And I want to understand and I want to learn from them too. So I think there's a lot to be said from those lived experiences. And it's also made me want to travel and see more of what's out there because we, we are so limited to where we are. So especially now autobiographies. Well, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Especially right now. And so, yeah, I love reading autobiographies, nonfiction, um, I try to put in some self-help books, kind of like, you know, learning about meditation, learning about what's going on with your gut health. So that's been a whole new avenue for me. I I think you mentioned it before too, but it's really letting go of expectations from other people. That's probably been my biggest thing that I've been working towards is, is what can I do for me versus I'm always trying to think of what can I do for someone else. And so I think that's something that's really hard to to change when you're wired that way. And mm-hmm. it's something that I've been forcing myself to do. It's like, okay, I overcommit. I'm constantly filling up my schedules. I'm always worried about other what other people will think. And I'm always trying to fix it. Yeah. Fix it if I did, yeah. apparently did something wrong or someone perceived it as being wrong. Sure. And that's something that I'm trying to let go of. And and it's been really important for me. And it's actually so liberating just knowing like, oh my gosh, I just did that. And I don't really give a crap what you think. And that's not, that's not easy. And that's something that's really changed 
changed me and the way that I approach situations, the way I approach even what I post on social media, obviously mm-hmm. cautious at the same time because I don't want to get torn to shreds by posting something overly political or something that people sure. will disagree with. But even mm-hmm. with me, with my social media where I am very focused on a holistic lifestyle. So Mm -hmm. how can I do things as naturally as possible? And that's gotten a lot of pushback from people who are registered dietitians or, you know, in those spaces. And I'm open to having conversations. I'm open to having debates. And that's not something that I shy away from. I, and unlike you, I love playing devil's advocate. Like I, Mm -hmm. I always want to know more Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I always want to challenge the status quo. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important to, if you really believe what you are going to put out there, just, just do it. I definitely hear what you're saying. However, I'm going to give you a quick anecdote. So it's Halloween. I genuinely love Kanye West. My girlfriend and now wife at the time decides to dress up as Kim Kardashian we're looking at our outfits. We're thinking, hey, you know, you really look like Kim Kardashian, but unfortunately, I don't look like Kanye West. Now, I had no understanding of the historical context of blackface. I didn't understand it. It wasn't a racist thing. I, like so many before me, was trying to come as close as I could to the realistic idea of what the Halloween costume was. Unfortunately, or fortunately, I should say, uh, I posted that on social media. And boy, did social media educate me. And I think about that constantly now, that that image of me in blackface as Kanye West and my um, then-girlfriend, now-wife at the time, is going to pop up at some moment and people are going to be able to assume that based on the picture, you know, oh, he's racist or, oh, he did this. But sometimes on social media, we, we do these things without being educated and we can't really control that. However, I would just err on the side of caution, trying to understand and, and be open to the idea that uh, people on social media might educate you on that topic. Um, yeah, so that would be my only caveat to that to, to that piece, right? So yeah. when they provided me the context, I agreed with them. I, I accepted what I did was wrong and I took down the photo. It's just those things that you don't know. Jimmy Fallon, who is clearly somebody who's not racist, you know, these type of things keep getting popped up. And, and obviously he didn't make that decision. That was the decision of the SNL writers and, you know, the makeup artists at SNL. And so now he has to like live through that. Yeah, no, you definitely have to be careful in in that regard. You're totally right about what you're posting or how it can be perceived. At the end of the day, though, not every you're not always going to make everybody happy. Like someone's going to find something, and I think that you really do need people who are going out there and and making podcasts and creating blogs and literally being vulnerable and putting themselves out there because not everybody's going to do it. I always ask this philosophy of life question. So do you have a a philosophy of life is the first question. So first one is my motto and saying, I guess, is something that my mom always used to sing all the time is (laughs) que sera sera. I actually have it 
I don't know if you can see it. It's a tattooed tattoo on, on your arm. arm. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. In my mom's handwriting. So she yeah. sings it all the time. And as someone who moved around, like it, it is hard not being with your family all the time. So obviously there's times where I'd be upset and, and it was hard to adjust. But my mom's like, don't worry. Like whatever will be, will be. Like it's all going to work out. And so that's just something. It just having it on my arm is just like a really nice reminder for me personally. So people meet you outside of your job or people interact with you in your work. What would you like people to leave those conversations with? I hope that they leave those conversations either learning something new or considering something that they thought they knew. So I, again, just really someone who plays Deadpool's advocate, who challenges the status quo, who always asks why is is important and and i don't think a lot of people take the time to do that so i hope when people leave interactions with me they're they're considering or challenging their way of thinking and if that's not the case and it's a, a little bit more lighthearted and don't always have in-depth conversations just recognizing that i am a caring and thoughtful person because i'm one of those people that will remember if you have an exam in three weeks and I will message you the morning of and tell you good luck. I'll remember if you started a new job. I'll remember your kids' birthdays, your dog's birthdays. That's just the type of person I am. And and I hope people recognize the thought that goes behind it because sometimes it might just be something small like, oh, I just got a text message from Liz that says good luck on my first day at work. Not a lot of people do that. Not a lot of people remember that. And I think it, it would be nice people also recognize the gesture behind it, not because I need it, but because it could be something that they could do for someone else. Yeah, I could definitely do more of that. So <laughs> I will definitely take that advice. For those people that want to engage with you and your work, where can they find you online? Yeah, I think I'm not sure how LinkedIn works. If you can like interact with people outside of your network too far at your network. I don't know, but I'm Elizabeth Shaw on there. And then social media, the strong skinny on Instagram and my email, the strong skinny at gmail.com. And then my blog is the exact same thing. So perfect. I like it. Simple, nice and easy. The exact T H E strong S T R O N G skinny S K I N N Y. And that's across the blog, Instagram, and uh, everywhere else that you decide to Google search. Yep, exactly. Perfect. Elizabeth Shaw, thank you very much for being on the podcast. It was wonderful to have you. Um, and I, I can't wait to see what you do helping people on your blog at thestrongskinny.com. Thank you so much for having me. It was great chatting and catching up and, and learning about what you do and, and sharing about what I do. Hello, everyone. Sean again. I wanted to take this time to say thank you. We have reached listeners from around the world, across five continents, 18 countries, and 68 cities. Without humans like you listening to this podcast and allowing me to interview you, this would not be possible. If you enjoy this podcast, would you please consider leaving a short review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts? It takes less than 60 seconds, and it really makes a difference in helping me reach more listeners and guests. Also, please subscribe. This means that you'll learn from humans who are doing amazing things at home, at work, and online. See you next week.